The following is a production of Shark Flight Media. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world in three, two, one, mark. Do you know what the secret of life is? One thing, just one thing. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Hey, kids, welcome back to an enthralling episode of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Ian J. Malone. Going to be joined here in just a second by one of my partners in crime, Rom Hal. Kevin Steverson has the night off. Want to say thanks right off the top to our presenting sponsor. You know them by now. They are Chris Kennedy Publishing. Doesn't matter what you're into, folks. If it's space opera, military sci-fi, uh, paranormal romance, urban fantasy, high fantasy, even stuff on the craft, go check them out at chriskennedypublishing.com. They are message-free sci-fi with a slice of fantasy and a whole lot more these days. So again, that website, chriskennedypublishing.com. Go there, sign up, check out their authors, check out their books, sign up for their newsletter, get yourself a free short story while you're there. So lots of good stuff happening there and lots of good stuff happening on tonight's episode. We've got a fantastic guest, return guest, uh, one of our favorites. We always have a good treat talking to her. So uh, that's going to be coming up here shortly. Also, lots of stuff in the news. Most recently, the Super Bowl. Obviously, we talked a bit about that on our last episode and uh, uh, if Rob Howell's Twitter feed uh, this past weekend was any, was any indication, my man has some thoughts on that. So I, don't spoil it for now, Rob, but uh, clearly we have a segment earmarked for that. Other than the Super Bowl, though, how was your weekend? Wow, what an amazing time did I have at the Superstar Seminar. The Superstar Seminar is basically a place where writers get together and you get some of the biggest names in the industry the the founders include eric flint who couldn't be there for health reasons but still this this bears his uh his legacy dave farland another founder he passed away just before the con but this was probably his baby all the way along and obviously those are two great names in the science fiction fantasy world but then there's also kevin j anderson James Artemis Owens, Jody Lynn Nye, um, a host of others, Jonathan Mayberry. Um, I could go on and on. I mean, just a collection of some of the top talent in writing, not just science fiction and fantasy, but many other, uh, many other genres. And I went there hoping to learn, hoping to network, hoping to do all the things you know that a publisher and a writer should do. And man... I can't say anything, but it was an unqualified success. I uh, took a class on pacing from Jonathan Mayberry, and and boy, I think it's really already popped as I've tried to put those things into my work in progress. I took a class on cover art from Owens, and I found out I found so I, I found some nice things that my instincts were right, but I found so many things where I I didn't know enough to ask the right questions, and then there was just meeting a ton of great authors and up and coming and people who you don't know but you will great time at superstars i'm looking forward to next year already yeah i would very much like to get on that one next year uh that's it's it's definitely one i've circled on the calendar as as one i'd like to catch uh it was a pretty low-key weekend here in the malone house i spent uh, most of my weekend bunkered up cooking <laughs> so i uh i started brining a, a about a 12 pound boston bud on wednesday and uh smoked four chickens cajun style and uh did beans potato salad slaw pretty well the whole spread and uh and and we had a, a nice time i've got a good 
guys' crew here in Panama City that I've known for decades now, and they are all from Cincinnati. So my introductions to Cincinnati Skyline <laughs> Chili, Gold Star, Cincinnati Reds baseball, like all of that came from from this clan. And so when miraculously the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, I was uh, I was like, all right, guys, I'm in town now. Party at Ian's house. I'm covering the food. Just show up and wear your gear. And uh, the end of the game, obviously notwithstanding, you know, we we had a great time. And then Monday was pretty well just recoup and clean up. Went out and got some fish and uh, hung out on the coast and just kind of laid low. So it was uh, all in all, very, very nice weekend here. But uh, all right. Well, that's going to bring us down to our first segment of the night, which we like to call the news. And now the news. The news is the segment where we just kind of give uh, listeners an update on what's going on with our particular writing projects. Uh, if there's anything happening with event schedules, so on and so forth, this is kind of the, the spot in the show where we kind of bring everybody up to speed on what's happening in our world as writers and as publishers. Uh, in my case, I'm geeked out for Pentacon. I'm going to be lighting out of here on Thursday to hook up with my good friend and fellow writer uh, Nick Steverson, and he and I are going to be making the trip over to Pensacola. We will be hanging out in Bard's Tower all weekend, which is a big mobile bookstore that, that tends a lot of these cons. Uh, Kevin Eikenberry is also going to be in, in attendance. Rumor has it Larry Hoy, also of CKP, probably going to be there as well. And uh, we will be there first thing Friday morning, ready to rock and roll through the weekend. So if you are doing Pensacon this year, uh, come on by, make sure you see us, grab a book, chat with us a little bit. We'd love to meet you. Uh, outside of that, just uh, writing continues on Last Argonaut for me. Uh, I mentioned last time that I, you know, I'd spent a good bit of time kind of writing a playbook, writing the language of what it is to play the sport of warball. Uh, this this past week was getting back into characters. Uh, there's one particular character beat that I've been I've been waiting to write for a little while. Uh, it involves the the protagonist and you know a young lady in his life that he may or may not be interested in, and it's really just a sweet scene that I got to write between the two of them, kind of getting to know each other. And uh, so anyway, that was that. And then, you know, a bar fight ensued and all hell broke loose and so on and so forth. So anyway, it was a, it was a fun week of writing do, do for me. Do all of your books have a bar fight? Man, do all, I don't, do all of your books have a bar fight? All, all of my books have a bar scene. Whether or not it ends in fisticuffs, <laughs> it, maybe, maybe not. But inevitably, and I've talked with Kennedy about this. I'm like, I don't know how it happens. Inevitably, all of my freaking characters end up at the bar. I don't know what that says about me, but you know, it is what it is. But that's what I've been doing this week. Rob, about yourself, man. What's the, what's the news in the the writing world of Rob Howe? Well, I'm working, still working on The Door in the Winter. Uh, that's the, my first Eldritch Legacy novel. Uh, that's made a little bit of qu- more progress than I sort of expected uh, being at Superstars because of some of the suggestions that Jonathan Mayberry made about pacing. Um, so I that's my big thing. I would love to get this him on the show, far- by the way. Mm. Love to chat with well, him. Well, I'll see if... I'll see if I can't can't uh, arrange that. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, there's you know there were quite a few people I want to have on the show. Mm. Um, I've got uh, projects working. I've got <laughs> so I went into Superstars with a number of projects and came out with another number that is bigger and exciting. So there's much to talk about, but a lot of it's too soon to talk about. Uh, but my big thing now is focused on getting um, the the door to winter done, and then also a Valkyrie story for. Uh, Mar- Marisa Wolf. This is actually set in the hit world uh, setting created by Bill Webb. And it's basically trying to create a number of uh, characters that will serve in uh, the Valkyrie Strike Team. And uh, there's an official name for it, but I'm, I'm ca- I've been calling it the Valkyrie Strike Team in that world. 
and it's uh, it looks like I've been having a lot of fun with it, and that's due at the end of the March. So I've had a a very busy front half getting a bunch of publishing stuff done and the con. The last two weeks, I am throwing myself at uh, the words on the page. Nice, 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 nice. Okay, well, you know, speaking of writers, speaking of books, uh, we have a great one on tap tonight. Someone that we thoroughly enjoy speaking with, uh, whether it's just hanging out around the pub, hanging out around the coffee house at cons, or here on this show. Uh, fans of the Four Horsemen universe know her very well. Fans of Bane books know her very well. And she just so happens to have a brand new book uh, coming out this Friday that actually closes off a trilogy of hers that is very well regarded in critical ranks and I've read it and I'm telling you it's fantastic stuff so uh, without further ado Rob who are we talking to here tonight we're talking to the amazing KCSL author YouTuber we'll talk about that and a whole bunch of other things uh, we're excited to have her welcome back Casey thanks guys I'm excited to be back now we had you on episode 36 and, and if I don't mention you can find it on our archive which is on Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Ian will kick me in the shin, so I wanted to make sure to get that out. <laughs> well but, done, uh, good sir. Well done. <laughs> How have you been since that episode? I've been good. Kind of busy. Um, you know, completing a lot of projects and uh, and uh, still flying out here and living living life in Japan and stuff. So um, busy, but good. <laughs> good busy, I guess. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, did I see an awesome cover reveal with your name on it, so say, on uh, last Wednesday? Yes, yes, you did. Um, so on uh, social media, it was it was kind of funny how it came about because I think you um, shared it on social media before I even woke up. <laughs> but um, I'm doing a uh, – I'm editing a – noir anthology with Larry Correa. Um, it's coming out from Bane Books in September of 22. And uh, Larry released the cover. Um, Larry and I got the cover emailed to us from the publisher this, you know, and they said, here it is. It's great. You guys are good to share. But it was the middle of the night for me. So I obviously didn't see it. But I woke up and I saw um, uh, you had shared it. Um, and Chris Kennedy had shared it and Larry had shared it. And I was like, wow, where did all these people get this thing before I even opened the email? <laughs> So, um, but it was great. Yeah, it's called No Game for Nights, um, and it's a, uh, like I said, an, an anthology of uh, noir, science fiction, and fantasy short stories. And um, one of my favorite stories in the volume is by a gentleman by the name of Rob Howell. So, uh, congrats to you on uh, on that. Thanks for giving me such a fantastic story, man. I am so honored to be a part of it. And so, when I did see that uh, Larry posted it on his blog. I took about two and a half uh, milliseconds to get that up on Facebook. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for doing that. I mean, it was it was awesome to see. I was just I was a little confused because I was like, wait, how'd you get it already? <laughs> Magic. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your story in No Game for Night because I know mine, uh, but I don't know yours at all. Yeah. So. Um, uh, in addition to editing the volume, um, I also have a story in there, and uh, this time I chose to co-write with Griffin Barber, um, who was my co-author for our science fiction noir novel that we released last year? No, the year before last now. It was like September of 2020, um, called uh, Second Chance Angel, um, and uh, we wrote a prequel short story to that volume, and that's featured in, in No Game for Nights, and it's the concept, the overall concept of the um, 
anthology is that it's a uh, a study of the noir detective archetype in science fiction and fantasy because um, that's one of the things that I love most about noir as a as an aesthetic or a genre is that you can mash it up so well with just about everything else um, and you know we've got like lots and lots of examples of of sci-fi and fantasy noir you know um, the entire urban fantasy genre you could argue is a mashup of fantasy and noir um, and then of course you know on the sci-fi side we've got um, Blade Runner and um, Altered Carbon and just all, all kinds of I mean you can think of half a dozen examples yourself if you really you know sit down and do it um, so we um, each of those stories features this in some form usually features this character archetype of a kind of hard-bitten beat-up detective type of dude who is um, a good man or a, but not a kind man necessarily or you know, he's, he, maybe he's not really a good man, but he does the right thing. He's a, he's a guy with a code of honor, but it's his own code of honor. You know, um, maybe he's a little chaotic neutral if you, if you, if you think in D and D terms. Um, but he, um, um, the, our story for that Griffin and I wrote is a prequel story about the main character of second chance angel, the male main character of second chance angel. And it really sort of introduces those aspects of his personality of, you know, why he's so banged up, what, you know, what, what's his background? Why is he the kind of person who, you know, even though it's an inconvenience and maybe even dangerous, he, he has that drive to get to the truth of the story, to get to the bottom of things and to, and to do the right thing, even if it costs him significantly to do so. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's our story. I was going to follow up just with uh, all that description that, title comes from a Raymond Chandler quote, which you and I are both really familiar with. And yes. it's a fantastic quote. And frankly, I don't think we can do justice to Raymond Chandler's words. I think you guys uh, listening should go uh, search for No Game for Nights. That that phrase is in that quote and uh, read it from Chandler himself. And of course, that'll pop up the stuff about the, the anthology, but we won't get into, you know, sliding that on in. <laughs> that was sneaky, Rob. Very well done. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> So you've been talking on the internet a lot lately, so from what I hear. Are you, are you that fond of the sound of your own voice? I mean, I like it, but... Hey. I mean, I am. Truth be told, I truly am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, um, I started a YouTube channel. So, um, and at, while the benefit is that I get to listen to the sound of my own voice even more, um, really my, my purpose in doing that is... Um, I've realized that one of the things that I like most about writing and, and um, you know, working in this sort of creative milieu is the opportunity to build community. Um, <clears throat> and it's, you know, it, ever since, you know, the, the events of 2020 and the pandemic, one of the things that has really stuck out to me is how much we as humans need connection with other humans. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of been on my mind, like, how, how do we, how do we do that? How do we connect? And that's, um, you know, to a certain extent, it's 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 complicated for me by the fact that um, I am living in Japan, which Japan is a beautiful place, and there are a lot of really beautiful humans here. Um, but um, you know, my my support structure, my friends and chosen family and whatnot, are are back home in the states, and so you know, with the twelve hour time difference, connecting can be some can be sometimes tricky. So, all of these thought, you know, with all of these thoughts, plus the you know the desire to promote my work and to and to try and build my audience. It just seemed like 
I, I felt this need to, to build a community of, of fans and friends. And, um, and so I started thinking about different ways to do that. And I was really inspired by um, another author and YouTuber by the name of Sarah Cannon. She has two YouTube channels. Um, and I, I actually came across her work in the context of like planners and calendars and organization and productivity, because one of her channels is called Heart Breathings. And it's about planning and productivity for authors specifically, which is, you know, sort of how I found it. Um, but she's a, this woman, she, she writes mostly YA fantasy and she's an indie author and she has this incredible community that she's built through reaching out through her YouTube videos and doing live streams through YouTube. And she has, you know, a Facebook group and a discord group where she is able to directly communicate with the members of her community. And I just saw how she was doing that. And I was like, that's it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. You know, I, I want the ability to, to connect with the people who connect with my work. Um, and so I decided to, you know, take a page out of her book and start a YouTube channel. Um, so it's called Casey Ezel Writer Life. And uh, the focus of my channel is mainly the transition right now that I'm going through um, between being a full-time military officer and pilot to being a full-time writer. Um, I want to kind of document that transition and talk about some of the, the, the things that I'm doing to make that transition, because I think that's a, an, it's sort of niche, but it's a niche that I think people are interested in, um, particularly in military science fiction, which is a lot of who my audience is. Um, and, um, and yeah, so we've, I've got, I think, three videos out right now. Um, there will be more coming. I'm, I'm in the, you know, the very beginning stages of this. But we did, um, um, I'm trying to do li weekly live streams um, as, a, again, a way of connecting and, and talking to people and finding out what's, interest, what's interesting to them and stuff. So, um, so it's been a lot of fun. I, I, hope, uh, I hope you and, and some of the listeners, if you're interested, come check it out. I certainly will. I, I, I have to chuckle there. I don't know how niche that's going to be if you keep, you know, Casey Moores and Melissa Oldhoff and David <laughs> and all these others you keep bringing in to write for me. And it turns out they all seem to write really well. So that's been a lot of <laughs> I fun. I keep recruiting my, 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 my military friends who enjoy telling stories. <laughs> right. And when now we have the Air Force wing of the Chris Kennedy Publishing. And <laughs> don't tell Chris uh, we said that. He'll, he'll be upset. He'll be like, oh, all of a sudden we have to get, you know, 53 naval aviators in, in the crew. <laughs> uh, so we love having you. We want to have you on all the time. Uh, but the real reason we wanted you on the show this week is because there's there's something awesome and fun happening Friday, right? Something that has a, a bit of a Dragon Award legacy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but I am so excited to be releasing the third book in my Psyche of War series. Um, it is uh, it's called Skies to Conquer, um, and it is uh, it is set in Vietnam of uh, Pearl Silver, who is um, one of the minor characters in the first book, Mind of, Minds of Men. Um, she's up, Pearl is all grown up and her grown son uh, goes to service country in Vietnam and uh, ends up missing in action. And Pearl's not about to have that. So she calls in some of her army buddies from the forties and says, Hey man, I need you to put me in country so I can find my boy. Um, and it's, uh, I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's a gritty read. <laughs> I, uh, um, it's, uh, 
the, yeah, there's a lot of emotion in this one. Um, and, and also a lot of helicopters. I, uh, Chris, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a UH one pilot, um, for the air force. And when I initially started talking about writing this book, Chris was like, you have to put in there a helicopter combat scene. You have to, it's a Vietnam book. It's gotta be a Huey scene. You're a Huey pilot. You gotta do it. Like I won't take take it otherwise. And I was like, okay, Chris, okay, I will. So, um, that so yeah, jerk? So there's what, a, kind, there's of, what little... kind of publisher is that? Right. <laughs> um, uh, one who knows what his fans like, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's so... exactly it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's, um, I think three helicopter combat scenes in there. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, um, I want to say it was fun to write, but I don't think fun is quite the right the right adjective there. It was um, uh, cathartic to write. There's a lot of, um, you know, I mean, it's, you don't mess with mama bear, right? Like there's a lot of that going on in, in this story. So I hope, uh, I hope your fans will, you know, fans of the show will like it. And uh, um, I really, I, I think fans of my work will enjoy it. It's It's a very emotional piece. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, you know, starting to develop a reputation for. So, and you mentioned the Dragon Award legacy. I, I, so this is the third book in the trilogy. Both of the first two volumes were Dragon Award finalists in the, in the category of alternate history. And I mean, it, it may be a pipe dream because the Dragon Award has grown, um, rightfully so, but, uh, um, I would really, really love to, to make it a hat trick with the, uh, the Dragon Award finalists for, um, in, in that category for this trilogy. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I certainly uh, am intrigued by it. There's a, it's a great, well, I read Minds of Men and I, I finished it in like, you know, one evening because it was really good. And it's also in one of the time periods I'm interested in. Minds of Men is set uh, in, in World War II with the uh, B-17s uh, yes. doing their work over Germany and the challenges. I mean, you talk gritty, that's a pretty gritty a set of battles there across the uh, skies of Europe. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so. um, <clears throat> um, excuse me, sorry. And um, I should also mention, uh, Minds of Men's on sale this week um, for the oh, launch nice. of of the third book. So um, so yeah, people can go to Amazon and, and get that at a discount if they haven't started the series yet, which is kind of cool. So just just to complete the cycle here, uh, Minds of Men was. Uh, Set in World War Two, Skies to Conquer in Vietnam. What's the yes. one in between? Tell us about quickly about the the one in between. The one in between is called um, The World Asunder, and it is um, set in um, the opening days of the Berlin Airlift. Um, and it is uh, it's essentially a, a Cold War spy thriller. Um, the main character is Lena Suhurin, who is the antagonist of Minds of Men. So she's the um, the German psychic who, um, at, in the first novel is, uh, a, a, a member of the SS. She's a Nazi. <laughs> and, um, um, the, uh, I took a chance on, you know, trying to have a, uh, sympathetic main character. Um, and I, and I made her the main character of the second book. Cause I really wanted to tell her story. Um, and the story of, you know, I, we talk a lot about World War II, but one of the aspects that I think kind of gets lost in this conversation is the sack of Berlin. You know, I mean, it, we don't often think of modern cities being sacked, right? right? Like that's something that happens to Roman villas and, you know, Carthage. Um, <laughs> but uh, but 
Berlin in 1945 was, that's exactly what happened to it is it was sacked and it was, um, just, uh, the, the amount of suffering and pain that the residents of Berlin went through, um, during the time that the red army overran it was, is astronomical, you know, and universal, really universal. I mean, if you ever read some of those stories or some of those accounts, it's just harrowing stuff, you know, I mean, like you, you, you can't, you can't finish it. Like you got to put it down because you're going to, you, it's going to make you cry or throw up or, or all three. Right. So, right. um, so I wanted to acknowledge that piece of it. Um, and, and I wanted to tell the story of like, okay, so what happens after what comes after? And one of the things in, in skies to conquer that was really fun for me to research. So it, it's kind of cool. I've realized one of the benefits of writing alternate history is like, you get to go down these really cool research rabbit holes. Um, and for fun? Sky- yeah, for sure. And so for skies to conquer, um, which again is the second book of the series. Um, I, I, started doing research on this thing that was called Operation Paperclip, um, which was a real world series of events that um, essentially boiled down to, it was a race uh, between the United States government and the government of the Soviet Union to get control of all of the Nazi scientists in the various career fields that they'd been working before the other side did, right? So huge names like Werner von Braun, founder of our space program. He he was a a Third Reich scientist. He worked on the, um, was it the V2 rocket, I think? I'm talking off the top of my head, so please don't shoot me if I'm wrong. But um, uh, he was an Operation Paperclip alum, right? So members of the of the um u.s army government apparatus got in touch with him and were like hey we're gonna get you out of here you and your family but you have to come work for us um and you can't go work for the soviets because they wanted that expertise for quote unquote our side in the cold war right sure um same thing with the father of aerospace medicine um also nazi scientist did human experimentation. That's why we know so much about how the body reacts to high altitude and cold temperatures is because of these completely inhumane experiments that he performed on unwilling subjects, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a dark legacy, um, but it's very, very interesting. And so I utilize that a little bit in, um, um, in, uh, skies to conquer, um, as, as one of the sort of plot lines of, you know, why why is my former Nazi psychic working with an American intelligence officer to try and find, um, you know, a man who is like her neighbor and friend, um, but he's also a Nazi chemist or was a Nazi chemist. And so, yeah, so that's sort of the the plot line. <laughs> that's a heck of a set of stories, Casey. Um, Thank I mean, you. Uh, I've enjoyed what I've read of you in general, but, you know, these these hit sort of in my historical wheelhouse uh, in some of my historical wheelhouses and I really enjoyed them. looking forward to skies to conquer and now that's coming out Friday uh, the yes. 18th and then uh, no game for nights is coming out in September uh, yes. from Bain uh, what else can we look for from you well um, 
this year is going to be kind of weird because I'm I'm retiring from the Air Force this summer and I'm moving back to the United States. Um, so you can look for other stuff from me. I just don't know what it's going to be yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. I mean, you've heard me talk about reasons versus excuses. Moving is a reason. Retiring from a career, that's a reason. These are major upheavals in your life and you need to get your family all settled in so you can give us, you know, uh, let's see, 2023, you owe me a trilogy in fantasy, and you know, you owe Chris uh, another three Four Horsemen books, plus you need another uh, um, story uh, to follow those guys to conquer, yeah. and then you need another, you know, uh, another anthology for Bane, and maybe some more Second Chase Angels. You know, 53 books is fine for 2023, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for some other authors. That's uh, that's not quite how I operate. <laughs> I am starting a new project with, um, as far as like works in progress right now that I that I can talk about. Um, I am starting a new project with Chris Kennedy starting in March. Um, I don't think I can reveal details on that one, but it's going to be exciting, and I think people are going to love it, um, especially fans of um, the Four Horsemen universe, fans of um, space opera, um, which. To be clear, the Four Horsemen universe is not, but there is a Venn diagram of intersection between space opera right. fans and Four Horsemen universe fans. That's who I'm targeting with this next project. Right. Um, right. And then uh, uh, in addition to that, um, I'm currently working on the sequel to Gunpowder and Embers, which is a, a book that I wrote with um, Christopher L. Smith and John Ringo, um, published by Bain. That came out last year. Um, so I'm about 20,000 words into the Gunpowder sequel. Um, and then I'm also, um, last summer, speaking of alternate history, um, actually, I guess it was just this past fall, Romanov Rescue came out. Um, and that was another alternate history that I worked on with Tom Crapman and Justin Watson, um, with a little help from Mona Lisa Foster. Um, and, uh, that one came out, like I said, this past fall, and that's a alternate history that postulates what happens if some of the Romanov children were rescued and were, um, you know, able to meet up with the, the monarchist white Russian forces in the Russian Civil War that was going on um, immediately after, um, you know, the, the Romanovs were murdered in our timeline. So, um, um, so we're, we are currently working on the, the sequel to that, where we have um, Empress Tatiana is uh, the Tsarina of Imperial Russia at war with itself right now. So interesting. I, yeah, it's I, pretty cool. I, yeah, I haven't actually had a chance to read that one, but it's been on my to-read to list. So yeah, if you if if people know Tom Crapman's work at all, so fair warning, people either love Tom Crapman or they hate him. <laughs> um, but one thing that the man does very 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 well um, is he writes about how to create, train, sustain military units, and um, absolutely, it's. He writes a, uh, he calls it like a military procedural. And it really is kind of like a police procedural, but that's how his military science fiction and military fiction in general works, is it's it's very procedural. Um, so it was really fun to mix that with, you know, the, um, the historical or the alternate history milieu of, okay, well, what happens if we change just this one detail? How does that right. propagate throughout the timeline um, and change what we're doing and stuff? And so... Um, so yeah, we've got cool stuff. We've got like you know an airship crew that uh, would was a real crew that did some heroic things. Um, we've got uh, you know some uh, 
brave surviving princesses. It's, it's something for everyone, really. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so lots of stuff going on, uh, but but I suppose it's fair to give you a little bit of time so you can get back to you, back here and and get settled. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm looking forward to it. I have loved living in Japan. It is an amazing place. Um, I'm already thinking about, you know, the things that I didn't get to go see. So planning return trips and visits and whatnot. Um, but uh, I'm also very excited to move move back home closer to family and, and friends and chosen family and things like that. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing a beverage with, with you at uh, some of these cons again. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so I think that's all I've got, unless I miss some. Did I miss anything important? No, I've got a book coming out on Friday. Hey, go buy it, please, and thank you. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the thing I was focused on. All right, so I think I'm done. Hey, Ian, did you have anything for her? I did, actually. So I actually have two questions for Casey. Uh, number one, anytime Casey and I get together, inevitably the subject of music comes up because that's just kind of how we roll. You had told me when you were writing Skies to Conquer – uh, that it was a lot of uh, you know a lot of that classic '60s and '70s rock. It was along the yeah. Watchtower. It's CCR. It's you know Bob Dylan. All of that classic stuff. So now that you're kind of through that story, can we kind of peek behind the curtain into like what's your playlist looking like right now? That's my first question. Question number two is the last time you were on, you joshed me because you didn't get a chance to talk about your Pittsburgh Steelers. So <laughs> a lot of stuff happening in Steeler Nation right now. Yeah. Obviously, you just had a big retirement in Big Ben. And yeah. so you are very much in a time of transition in Pittsburgh. So those are the two things yeah. I want to know from you. What are you listening to? And what would you do if you were in charge of your Steelers right now? Oh, man. Okay. Well, let me let me take them in reverse order. So um, <clears throat> I, uh, in my view, the success of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers as a franchise has always rested on one principle, and that is that the – they recruit and retain players and and presumably you know staff members who are dedicated to the organization you got to be a quote unquote stealer guy like that's a thing right um and much of the success of of the franchise historically has come from um their their scouting staff really looking for those elements of what makes a stealer guy um, so, you know, what, what would I like to see? I'd like to see them invest in another, another Steeler guy and, and take a couple years if necessary to train him up to be that, you know, franchise quarterback, um, to, uh, um, to replace, uh, Roethlisberger. Um, you know, Big Ben was, he, he, he went the distance with the team. And I think that that in and of itself is pretty telling, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, that's the kind of thing that makes the Steelers a, a successful organization over and over again. Um, you know, when you look at, at the longevity of their coaching staff, when you look at the longevity of their, of their starting players, um, if you're, you know, it, it, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're not a Steeler guy, you're not going to stay, you know, sure. and we've seen examples of that. So, um, I think remaining true to that, those principles is, is what's going to spell out success for the franchise. So. 
Fair enough. Yeah, that's one thing I've always admired about the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, for all the talk about the New England Patriot way, you would be harder pressed in all of pro sports to find a better model of consistency than the Pittsburgh Steelers. From the yeah, way they sure. groom I mean, their had... coaches, from the way, again, yeah. like you said, the way they scout, the way they they vet their talent, it really is just as even, Steven, as it gets. And in this day and age when every fan wants to pull the ripcord every time crap goes south – it's nice to have those clubs out there that that aren't that knee jerk. They do. They're very cerebral about what they do, and that's to be admired. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and yeah, there's cerebral too, but I, I think that there's also some instinctiveness to it. Like there's there's an emotional component to it. Of you know, is this a, is this guy the kind of guy that vibes with the rest of the team? Is this guy the kind of guy that gets our our franchise ethos? You know, it, is this the kind of person that that we can we can see leading our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are, those are fairly subjective questions, you know? Um, but I think that, that by and large, the team gets it pretty right. So, and, you know, I, I mean, Steeler nation's huge, right? Like yeah. if you, we, and, and we as fans, it's kind of, so as a football fan in general, I have always admired the fans of teams who don't historically do very well. You know, um, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to root for Cincy in the, uh, in the Super Bowl because again, I am a Steelers fan, but, um, I, I was happy for their fan base to like get there. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. <laughs> you know, um, but that being said, um, you know, the Steelers are perennially a, a contender, if you will. And, and part of the reason for that is again, that consistency. And, and we have such a huge fan base throughout, um, you know, the United States and, and across the world, um, you know, wherever there are football fans, it seems like there are Steeler fans. And part of the reason for that, again, is that consistency. But we also, I think because the fan base is so large, we kind of get that, that like, you're not going to go to the Super Bowl every year. And that's okay. The, the important thing is how you play the game, how you, and when I say how you play the game, I'm not talking like, I mean, I am talking a little bit like sportsmanship, but, but, but more importantly, I'm talking about like building that identity of, you know, this is who we are as a team. These sure. are the things that we accomplish as a team. You know, this is, um, we are known for smash mouth football. We mm-hmm. are known for, you know, we're the steel curtain defense. We are known for those things. And, and, and doubling down on those identity pieces and really investing in that is, is something that, again, I, I think the team does very well, that the the coaching staff and the scouting staff do very well. And, um, and, um, and that's what makes the Steelers such a perennial favorite. And that's what makes, you know, gives Steeler nation, the fan base, something to invest emotionally in. Cool deal. All right. The playlist question. What are you listening to? Yeah. I, <laughs> so if I'm perfectly honest, I'm having a hard time finding the exact playlist for um, the work, the the sequel to Gunpowder Numbers that I'm working on right now. Okay. Um, so what I do when that ends up being the case is a lot of times I go back to um, kind of that, a lot of the epic music that has um no words no lyrics right so like two steps from hell and um lindsey sterling is a big fan i'm a big fan of her of her stuff um because it doesn't have lyrics that'll distract me from the words that i'm trying to write Mm -hmm. so that's what i've been writing to lately um as far as like what i've been listening to um you know just moving around in the car songs that are stuck in my head um 
I've been, it's, it's very eclectic in here right now. <laughs> We've, uh, for Christmas, uh, we got, my husband got a, um, one of those VR headsets. Um, and there's a game on there called Beat Saber. And, um, uh, so I've had, had a lot of the songs from Beat Saber stuck in my head because I've been playing that game because it's super fun and also a little bit active. So I get a little, little bit of movement there. Um, so yeah, a lot of, lot of Imagine Dragons, a lot of songs that are incorporated in the game that I don't really know the artists who, who created them, but they're a lot of fun songs. So nice. sorry, it's not a very sexy answer. <laughs> oh no. You know I mean? Listen, Imagine Dragons, that'll, you know, my, my 15 year old loves you even more now, you know, I mean, that's, well, that's speaking his language. It's funny because we got the Imagine Dragons sound pack, sound, uh, or song pack, you know, that you can buy within the game. And then we also got the Lady Gaga sound pack, <laughs> song pack. Nice. So it's like Lady Gaga, Billie Eilish, Imagine Dragons. And then, um, and then there's, there's one that's like a mixtape. It's, it's called the mixtape pack and it's got, um, Maroon 5 and I think there's, um, one by 50 Cent on there and like, um, Limp Biscuit, like it's just oh, really random. <laughs> All right, now you can't you can't be dropping the you can't be extolling the virtues of Limp Biscuit on this know, podcast. I'm okay, I'm just it, saying there are it, some it lines, Casey Azell, that we slip. don't cross. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Well, folks, uh, it is. Um, I'm sorry, Ian, but the uh, version of uh, Mission Impossible that Limp Biscuit did was actually pretty rocking. Oh, you guys, you guys, (laughs) I'm outnumbered here. Kevin Steverson, where are you, man? I need you, brother. I'm throwing out an SOS. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Azell, brand new book coming out this Friday. Check the show notes. We're going to have a link to it right there at your fingertips. Uh, It's called uh, Skies to Conquer. Absolutely a treat. Always having her on the show to talk books, to talk podcasting, to talk Steelers football, music, you name it. Casey, where can folks find you? Uh, where can they find your books? Where can they find your YouTube channel? Credits galore. Go nuts. Floor's yours. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so um, first place to start is my website, uh, www.caseyezel.net. Um, you've got a listing of all my books there. Um, and then you can also, there's a link on there that says get free stories or something like that. Um, that'll take you to my newsletter sign up, um, which is basically the cornerstone of this community that I'm trying to build. Um you sign up for my newsletter and you can, um, you have the opportunity to, uh, get some free short stories, um, that I've written. Um, and then you'll also get like a weekly mailing from me where I just talk about what's going on in my life, what I'm working on, send you pictures of my cat, things like that. Um, my YouTube channel is called Casey Ezel writer life. You can, um, search for it under, if you just search for my name, it should come up. And, um, um, like I said, I've got a couple of videos on there, more coming up this week. Um, I, uh, I don't yet have, I just realized I don't yet have a link to my channel on my website. So I'll have to, I'll have to fix that. Um, so that, so that people can go in between them both. Um, I'm also, um, you can also search for my name on Amazon and that'll bring up uh, a whole bunch of books or just search for, um, uh, skies to conquer. And, um, yeah. Oh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, if you do join my mailing list, you get a link to the exclusive Discord server that I have that's strictly for my fans. And and um, when I do those live streams on every week, um, there's a spot in the Discord server to ask me questions. So if there's something you particularly want to ask me about, um, uh, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah, 
So that's where you can find me. All righty, all righty. Well, Casey Azell, folks, go find her, find her book, support her. She is good people and even better author. Casey, thanks so much. It's a treat as always. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I, I always love hanging out with you and I can't wait to hang out with you in person again soon. And that's going to bring us down to our halftime segment, which is where we pay some love to our presenting sponsor. That would, of course, be the fine folks over at Chris Kennedy Publishing. We say it at the top because it's true, folks, and that is it doesn't matter what you're into. If it's military, sci-fi, space opera, urban fantasy, paranormal romance, even stuff on the craft with uh, Cool Craft Press, man, they got it all at Chris Kennedy Publishing. Slide on over to ChrisKennedyPublishing.com. You can learn all about their series, their authors. Sign up for their mailing list. Get yourself a free ebook and uh, read about a bit about Miss Casey Azell as well. And uh, again, always a treat to have her on the show. Speaking of, she is this week's new release. We've talked about it. It's called Skies to Conquer. Rob, what else can you tell the folks about Casey's new book? She'll conquer every sky if it means saving her child. Pearl Silver was happy. She had a good job teaching young nurses. She was married to a good man who loved her. She had a son who made her proud every day. Most of the time, her memories of her time fighting in the skies over Europe remained a distant part of her past. Something she was proud to have done, but that time was over. Her life 20 years later was very different, and she didn't have much reason to tap into her psychic power, or to stay in touch with her old comrades in arms. But when her son signed up to fight for his country in Vietnam, it put a strain on her perfect life. And when her baby boy goes missing, Pearl doesn't question what she has to do. 20 years ago, Pearl went to war at the behest of her nation. This time... She's going to war to find her son, and she will leave no sky unconquered. Booyah. And folks, one more time, you will find the link to Casey's new book in the show notes. So if it sounds like something that you're interested in, and it should be, again, it's right there at your fingertips. Tap the link, take you straight to Amazon, and away you go. Uh, other stuff happening around the world in Chris Kennedy Publishing this week. New in audio, we've got NAMA. That would be book four in the Abner Fortis ISMC series by Paul Piott. You can go check that out on Audible, iBooks, or wherever audiobooks are distributed. And then finally, in additional news, launch team readers are needed for Seed in the Sky. That is the brand new book that uh, will be coming out shortly from Mike Jack Stumbos. It is the third book in his This Fine Crew series, which is doing well. Again, you can find information on all of that and more at chriskennedypublishing.com. In the case of the launch team readers, make sure you head on over there, click the contact tab, shoot them a message, let them know that you want the early reads, and they will take care of you. So, alrighty, well that's going to bring us to a segment that I know we've both been waiting for. So, folks, it's time to go on the stump. Ladies and gentlemen, the stump all righty rob i teased it at the top of the show and i knew we would both have stuff to talk about kevin i'm sorry you're not with us tonight man but we will definitely give you the floor next time around to talk about your beloved matthew stafford and his new title of super bowl winning quarterback rob i was following you on twitter kind of as this unfolded uh we were all bouncing messages in, in our little private group as well and um Man, you were you were not happy with this game, and it wasn't because you had a vested interest in either one of the teams. So talk, talk to me about your thoughts on this game. You're an analytical guy, so let's hear it. Well, first of all, go dogs. <laughs> There's there my you, Kevin Steverson. Uh, there you go, Kevin. Because he did have a dog in this hunt, uh, pardon the pun, and that was Matthew Stafford. And I'm, I'm pleased for Kevin. Uh, take this moment uh, – Kevin does a great job here, but he's had a great year for sports, and I'm happy for him. What I'm not happy about is the NFL this year. Now it's happened. It happens every year. Bad calls happen. 
We all see it. But I don't think I saw a single close game this year where, and I watch a lot of games, not just the Cowboys, but a lot of games, where the officials ended up being part of the story. And I could go back to, you know, all the Cowboy games where I wanted to vent. and But, but here's the deal. I watched nearly all of the playoff games. And every single one of them was affected in some way by the referees. If it was a close game, the referees played a part of it. And here's the specific complaint I have. That game was called very well in most ways. Yes, there's the, there's the face mask that should have been called on the big touchdown play. Absolutely. But there were a bunch of other calls that were let go because they seemed to be calling the game loose. They were letting the defensive backs get away with tugs and get away with this and that and this and that. And then in the, the final two minutes, they changed all the way they called it. That's the problem. If they had called it the same way throughout the game, and the, then that would have been fine. But call, changing the way they called it in the last two minutes really got in my craw. And frankly, one of those shouldn't have even been allowed to happen in the first place because there was a clear and obvious false start by essentially the entire offensive line of the Los Angeles Rams in that in that two minute period, and that is not a question mark. That's that's the kind of thing that is a pretty objective call. That is the kind of thing where there's a black letter law. You're not supposed to have the offensive lineman moving prior to the snap, and they did. So why are we so inconsistent? Fix the referees in the NFL. There's so many ways you could do it. Why is why is the sky judge thing that you kind of added from the XFL, which actually helped, it really did, the, the idea that they could overturn some of these calls uh, quickly without necessarily having a, a challenge. Why is that so inconsistent? Why was that not called, for example, on a, on a very questionable play in the Cowboys game that very well could have uh, changed the outcome of that game? Why was it called in other instances? What are the rules? We don't have any transparency. We don't see anything for the officials where they're suffering any consequences for not doing the job well. All we see is this product that we love. I've loved this game for 50 years, and I'll tell you what I told Ian and Kevin after the end of the Super Bowl. I don't want to watch the NFL. I, I probably will. I'll get into the draft, and I'll get into it again next year. But to have a 50-year fan of the NFL so disgusted with the inconsistencies of the referees. And this doesn't matter which team you're a fan of. This is throughout the NFL. It happens to every team and every game. Every close game is modified by the refs. And this, this can't continue because it's ruining the greatest show on, on the planet. Yeah. No, I'd, I'm very much with you. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't add um, <laughs> Tony Dungy is very much in your camp, sir. Uh, he had some very pointed words for the league and, and for the the way it was the game was officiated in the in the final few minutes. R- really for a lot of the same reasons that you said. Where's the consistency here? You know, you 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 actually called a decent game right up until the end and then you inserted yourself into the outcome of the game and that should never ever ever happen. So uh no, I I wholly agree with you. Uh the only thing I would would throw in there is Zach Taylor, what are you doing in in that final two minute drill? I mean, well, good lord, you've got, and I understand. All right, the the big question about Cincinnati heading into the game was whether or not they could block the Rams' defensive front. Clearly, they had problems with that. Okay, 
and I get it. Sometimes you have to scheme around that. You have to be cute. I also know there's something to be said for saying this is our identity. This is who we are, and we're going to stand by that. There is also something to be said when the game is on the line and you need to get one freaking yard. You line up, you nut up, and you go get the yard. And lining up in the shotgun on fourth and one and rolling out your gimpy quarterback behind a suspect offensive line against arguably the best front in football this year, kind of not the smartest of play calls. So, uh, you know, I, I really applauded Cincinnati for the, for the job that coaching staff did to get them there. I kind of felt like the play calling failed them when it really was on the line in the very end of the game. So I'll argue this point. And the reason I argue is is the play call that got me. I agreed that there was a play call question there. The play call that got me was the third down play there. The the draw that went right at the best football player on the planet, which is Aaron Donald. He didn't win the uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He should have. Over every, by far, he should have. T.J. Watt doesn't have a case if you look at the entirety of what uh, Aaron Donald did this year. And the year before and the year before. And the only reason Aaron Donald doesn't win the Defensive Player of the Year is because we get tired of voting for the same guy. So you you ran a draw play, which I actually think a, a running play there wasn't a, a bad choice, but you ran it at the at the best player on the planet. Honestly, the, the weakness on the Los Angeles Rams defense throughout the year has been their linebackers. If they'd have gone in shotgun on third and thrown the ball, a quick slant, something that takes a crossing play that, that that's quick, something that takes advantage of the linebackers, which is something I was calling for all along once the matchup was determined, take advantage of the linebackers, they would have gotten one of those two. If they ran that essentially that same sort of concept twice in a row from third down, they get it once, I guarantee. And so that's my my frustration with that play call. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that we can agree upon, and Rams fans, I'm sorry if you're going to take this as a shot, but um, I, I don't mean it that way, but it is what it is. I, th- I think we can agree this is the least likable Super Bowl winning team and and that I can remember in quite some time, if not ever. I mean, really, who who gave a crap about this team? I, I'm happy for Matthew Stafford. I really am. I think he's one of the good guys in the league, and I said that on Twitter. Other than that, though, who cared about this team? It's a team full of mercenaries. They went out, they pulled the exact same strategy that Tampa did last year. Let's go buy ourselves a Lombardi trophy. Let's assemble a whole bunch of talent and go go make a run at a title. It's boom or bust. And, I mean, granted, I'm not trying to take anything away from the coaching staff. They did their job. History is rife with with franchises that have tried that that strategy and failed miserably. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, for very well the last five years of Dan Marino's tenure down there, tried that. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I, that's I, I doff the cap to McVay and that whole crew for, for doing the job and getting it done. But I, I don't care about this team. You know, I mean, I, I really, really don't. I think the Cincinnati story would have been nice. I think maybe you care about the Rams a little bit more if they're still in St. Louis. But other than that, I, I, who, who cares about this team? All right, they won championship. I, I think that's a very, you know, un, unappealing way to end what was really a pretty good playoff run by the NFL. But, you know, it's over. They got the championship. Go celebrate it for 24 hours in L.A., and then nobody will care anymore because that's what L.A. fans do. And, uh, and then we're going to roll on to the draft. And the USFL, as it would appear. I, I am looking forward to the USFL, but that's obviously a pod uh, a podcast we'll talk about down the road. We and are, the draft. We are working on, on subject matter experts for both of those. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So anyway, it's uh, it's a bummer to put the NFL season in the rear view kind of on that note. But again, props to the Rams. They did what was expected of them. They did the job. They crossed the line. They are the champions. And we roll on Big River to 2022. You've got mail. And this is the point in the show where we like to hear what our listeners have to say in a segment called Pod Mail presented by the International Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors. Folks, it doesn't matter if you're a writer like us or if you're a reader. The IASFA folks, they have got something for you. All right. In the case of the writers who listen to this show, if you're not there, why aren't you? Okay. Go to IASFA.org. Sign up for an account. It's free. You got all kinds of perks there. All right. Number one, networking and community. If you want to find a great spot, one-stop shop, if you will, to be able to meet other authors, get pointers from each other on the craft, on book marketing, uh, be able to share each other's news lists. And hey, I, I got a special on, you know, for 99 cents this week, will you promote it in your, in your mailing list? And then I'll flip flop, you know, that sort of thing. That's what community is all about. The ISFA folks, that's what they're there to facilitate. So again, go to IASFA.org, sign up for an account, and start meeting people, man. There's also plenty of promo deals that you can get involved there. Speaking of promos, readers, that's where you come involved. All right, if you're a fan of space opera, if you're a fan of young adult science fiction, if you're a fan of fantasy, all right, all just about every month, there's some sort of a bundle going on where you can get tons of great stories on the cheap or even freebies. But again, it all starts by going to the website, IASFA.org, sign up for an account, sign up for their mailing lists, and getting to know about what's happening over there. One more time, that's the International Association for Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors, and we greatly appreciate them being a part of this program. Rob, you got something you want to add to that? Yeah, I do. Uh, Craig Martell is, is one of the guys behind that, and he's also the guy behind 20 Books 50K. He is a, a fantastic guy, a really productive author, a really good author, and he's also someone who loves to help other authors. So if you're ever at a convention or you ever have a chance to talk to Craig Martell, approach him. He'll talk to you. He'll help you. He's a really good guy. And I'm not just saying that because he literally said, oh, I'm taking the, I'm taking the check on this big table at lunch. That's the kind of guy he is. He just randomly goes and does nice stuff for people. Nice. Yeah, Craig Martell. And folks, if you want to meet him, go back a couple of podcasts, and he was a great interview with us. So definitely check him out and yep. definitely check out the IASFA folks that website one more time, IASFA.org. And it's, uh, again, right there in the show notes. So go check it out. All right. First question comes to us from Paul. Uh, initially, I wasn't terribly fond of the idea of a Lord of the Rings television series on Amazon. However, having now seen the trailer during the Super Bowl, I'll admit to being a little bit intrigued. What did you guys think of the trailer? Are you going to watch the show? Uh, Rob, this is definitely in your wheelhouse, man. What did you think of the trailer for the new Loader TV show on Amazon Prime Video? I am likely to watch it. Okay. I am Lord of the Rings alcoholic, and I will watch the show at least for a little bit. I have concerns. Um, the storytelling that I've sort of seen hinted doesn't necessarily lend itself to what Tolkien wanted. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying we have to have everything the way Tolkien wanted, because we're 100 years past when he got the germs of a lot of these ideas. Uh, but that being said, this has to feel like it's got depth to it, like it's got a bunch of history behind all of this stuff. And even though this is happening in the second age, there's still thousands of years in there, and it's got to feel 
that it's got that strength and that power and that foundation. And Peter Jackson did a fantastic job at this in so many ways. Yeah, you can quibble about not having Tom Bombadil or some other changes that he made, but you still felt like it was a Lord of the Rings story. You still felt it was Tolkien. And if they're pulling stuff from Tolkien's notes, and if they're building off of that and doing it in good storytelling ways with the foundation that, uh, you know, that, that depth of history, I'm in. Mm-hmm. But if they're going and changing everything to suit whatever thing they think is, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did X, Y, and Z? Because, man, that's something Tolkien never did and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm not so interested in that. I yeah. want to have... Uh, I like Lord of the Rings because I like Lord of the Rings. If you change it into something completely different, I'm going to be upset. And it's the same complaint I had about Wheel of Time. I didn't mind that uh, there was a lot of that that I might very well have really liked if it had not been Wheel of Time. Except since they said Wheel of Time, I had certain expectations that they would follow the entire overarching ideals that Robert Jordan put into that, and they didn't. They do that again here. I'm going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will admit to Lord of the Rings. I, I loved it. I love the spectacle of it. Uh, the Peter Jackson films, just like everybody else. Uh, I am the spaceships guy in our household. My wife is very much the Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, I will take a picture of the sword that is on our mantle. That was the first Christmas present I ever gave to her when we were dating. It is a replica of Liv Tyler's sword from Lord of the Rings. That's how hardcore she is as, as a fan of that series. Uh, she is very skeptical ab- about this. Natalie will watch it, but she is the last thing she wants to see, and we've heard rumblings of this, is Lord of the Rings turned into Game of Thrones. Like, that doesn't need to happen. And when I heard that, it smacked of what happened with Star Trek to me back in, I guess it was 08, whenever J.J. Abrams took over Star Trek. I mean, the guy went on record as saying, yeah, you know, I was never really much of a Star Trek fan. I was always a Star Wars fan. Star Trek was like science and nerds and Star Wars was rock and roll. So like we want to bring a little bit more rock and roll to Star Trek. Talk about a fast way to piss off Star Trek fans like that did it real quick and in a hurry. And it, it showed in his films. They, they were not they, they were Star Trek in name only in a lot of respects. And that's the reason why a whole lot of fans didn't like them. Uh, sidebar, I did think Star Trek Beyond was decent, maybe because J.J. Abrams was nowhere to be found in that film. But um, I, I'm a little worried that that may be the bait and switch you're going to get with this show. It's going to have the Lord of the Rings name on it. It looks a lot like Lord of the Rings, but once you get into the meat and potatoes of it, I'm, I'm worried that the stories here are not going to be very Loader-esque. And that's a that's a disservice to the franchise. I hope I'm wrong. Absolutely. But I will be I will be watching that very closely, and I can guarantee you my wife will be. And if they go too far, she will throw a remote through our brand new television, and then I won't be happy. So <laughs> that's where we stand on the loader. I hope that answers your question, Paul. All right, next question comes to us from Max. I can safely say that the live-action introduction of Cad Bane into the Star Wars universe is hands down my favorite thing to happen since Disney bought Lucasfilm. Uh, if you guys could cherry-pick one of your characters to write into a galaxy far, far away, who would that be? Rob, I'll give you a point on this one. You got a character that uh, if you could take out of a Rob Howell book and plug into a Star Wars story you think would fit? Well, I might go with my uh, my Kashkala starts off as a private. We'll see where he ends up. And that's uh, Rahan Kial Tala from The Feeding of Sorrows. 
Um, he he's the he's the one who has I think some of the best backstory for this sort of thing. He's got uh, he's got a sense of honor. He's coming into a completely alien environment to him, and I mean that literally. He's just he's an alien race coming into a human environment, and you know many of the 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 human expectations are uh, different, and uh, and I think that would be the most fun character because he's got the toughness, he's got the will, he's got the honor, he's got the fighting capabilities, and he's got the you know the personality to to pull it off. Cool. Um- I mean, uh, I'll give you an A, I'll give you a, a, like a big character and then a B character uh, from mine. Trip Hackett, I think from Colonies Lost would, would fit nicely into Star Wars. Uh, he has a bit of that Han Solo gunslinger type of, a, of an appeal to him. But um, there's a lot of that kind of stranger in a strange land um, ilk about him in Colonies. And, and that's a very familiar theme to Star Wars fans is, is having to find your way through the world. I think he would fit very nicely into a Star Wars style of story. Uh, digging digging a bit deeper into the weeds, though, uh, there was a character I rolled out in Detrin City Vice named Spiggy. Uh, he's an alien. Uh, he's he's. You get the impression because he's not on the page a whole lot. Uh, you, you get the impression that he there is a lot more there than meets the eye. Uh, he is a character who's very well plugged in around Detrin City. Seems to know a lot more about what's happening under the surface than than the average bear does and i kind of allude to that that maybe he's more than than we're letting on but he would fit very nicely in that group of characters like um i forget her name she was in the sequel trilogy she was the one that they one of the many characters that they just utterly wasted uh she was the character that they they meet in force awakens and she gives ray the lightsaber and all that really cool character and then you never saw her again for two films but uh spiggy could very much kind of fit into that mold of character Plus, he's really funny to write. He's got a really dry, almost Fraser Crane type of sense of humor that was just really a treat to write. So, yeah. All right. I could work with that. Trip Hackett and Spiggy from Dutch and City Vice. Next question, next question comes to us from Christopher. Uh, with the Super Bowl in the rear view, I'll inevitably settle or bleh, excuse me. Sorry, Christopher, I'm butchering your question. With the Super Bowl in the rear view, I'll settle now back into the offseason like I always do. Inevitably, though, I'll start jonesing for football sometime around April when the draft hits. Only now I've got the USFL. It seems there's been a few news notes about that new league in the headlines of late. What have you heard and are you excited about the new league um i i mean i am i was a bit more excited about the xfl and then covid kind of squashed that however uh you know kevin steverson actually passed along some literature on this new league specifically how it's financed and how it's funded and i do think there is a real possibility here for for one or both of these leagues to stick and get some traction. It does sound like this league is not going to fold in two years. It is not going to be the AAF. Like they have the the new owners of this league and particularly Fox Sports, who's a heavy investor in this, like they have a plan and they are they are funded and they are ready to stand behind that plan for the next two to three years as they gradually roll these franchises out to their respective cities. And there's going to be eight of them. Uh, you know, that, and that's another thing. The USFL, they're going to play their entire inaugural season in Birmingham in a kind of a bubble style of format so that they can guarantee that they get their games in because they don't want to suffer the same fate as the XFL. So clearly they've thought about it and clearly they've run the numbers and, and they have a plan and they've tried to, you know, to plan for every contingency that could happen here. 
I, I'm all about more football. Um, I'm also very much about young players having an option other than college to go get paid. If you're coming out of college or out of high school, you're 18 years old, you really are sick of class and sick of homework, and you really don't want to have to play that facade, which is pretty much what that is in college. You want to go get paid right now? Fine. Go to the USFL, make you a cool 80 grand a year. They'll pay you. You know, get your get your film in for the NFL, apply for the draft in three years. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of interested to see where this is going to go. Excited? Uh, I've learned over time not to get terribly excited about spring football, but I am interested. I think this is this one does have the chance to be different. Uh, Rob, anything kind of grab you about the USFL? I know they've been starting to kind of pub that up. Yeah, I'm actually leaning closer towards excited. Now, my perspective of this is a little bit more from what the XFL was. I was a season ticket holder of the St. Louis Battlehawks in St. Louis. And I will tell you that that particular franchise, along with a couple of others, were going to be able to carry the XFL with the other financing they had at least another two years after the one that they started with. And COVID ruined it all. We were getting, we were getting so many fans at St. Louis that they literally had to open up huge chunks of the Edward Jones Dome that they didn't ever want to do. But we kept pushing that number up because we had that many fans. Every one of them was a sellout, no matter how many seats they opened. So I absolutely think that there are markets out there that are starved for good football, and this can work. And I think spring leagues, this is the time when they can work, especially since the, ex- the NFL isn't do- always doing itself any favors. I'm intrigued by the Birmingham, the idea of starting everything in Birmingham. Um, I think that's an interesting concept to get people, you know, essentially doubleheaders of football. As I understand it, they're going to basically have a game and then a little bit later have another game. And, and I don't quite know how they're doing the ticket structure. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting idea to get people involved, get people in that area really into their teams and to create some interesting touch points. I suspect that will improve uh, attendance at the event. And I will also add that if you have, if, it's weird. The way we look at attendance is, is very perceptive. In the sense, and I mean that by, if you go watch a game that has 25,000 people at it on TV, and it's in a 75,000 stadium arena, and it's all spread out, it looks like there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. You watch another game, and they've got 20,000 people there, but the stadium holds 20,000 people. You're like, well, they're having success, success and why not the other guys? And the MSL or uh, the MLS has had to deal with that some as they've tried to put soccer in some of these big NFL stadiums, only to find out it's the, it's the one purpose-built the one that, that have a, a good, you know, a, a respectable size, uh, I mean, a, a respectable understanding of size of audience that makes those franchises seem more successful. And then once you seem like you're a success, well, then you are a success. Mm-hmm. And well, we I saw think, that with Major League Baseball back in the 90s when we went from having stadiums absolutely. that seated 60, 65, 70,000 people. All of a sudden, the, you know, the, the, plan du jour was to have 40,000 seat parks. And I want to say, correct right, me if I'm wrong, right. but that started with Coors Field in, in Denver, did it not? Wasn't that the first of that generation of stadiums that kind of sat about that 35,000 marker because they wanted every game to look like a sellout? Yeah, I don't know the sequence of those, but it's that same concept. You're absolutely mm-hmm. correct. 
And I think Birmingham is a nice choice. I probably would have leaned at San Antonio simply because of uh, they've done really well. Anytime there's football there, there's a huge. It's a it's a bigger market than you might think. What with the cluster of towns around it, uh, and I think that would have been my personal choice. But Birmingham is a fine choice too because it draws from a number of feeders around it that are more than you you might realize. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's an, that's a good way to get it started. Reduces costs, probably increases crowd size. Um, the TV thing is is you know most of the time when we're watching on TV we really don't care about the stadium right. because we're not seeing enough of it and we're not experiencing anything about it. We're only looking for the next thing that they show us, mm. and so you know, I think that I think that's going to be fun. This is I mean this could be getting a little too far off onto the weeds, but one thing I I will say for the USFL and the XFL that I'm I'm not quite as there are some markets that I get it. You have to be in. You have to have a club in New York or in the New York market. You have to have a club in the Los Angeles market. All right. These are things that you have to have if you want to consider yourself a big league professional sport. I don't understand the love affair with Tampa. All right. I mean, the Vipers, did, they didn't turn out for the XFL. There, there was no huge following there. Um, you know, why not look at a place like Jacksonville instead? I mean, dude, Jacksonville, you are right in the heart of SEC country, Florida Gator country, all those bull gators up there. That's all they want to talk about is football in that town. Give them something to watch. And I think that you, you would, it would seem to me anyway that there would be a lot of very willing dance partners out there in the way of these college campuses that are hemorrhaging money in the arms race that is college athletics now. They are looking for revenue. You know, go to the University of North Florida. Plant and you know a USFL franchise in Jacksonville. Play it out of the USF or the um, the University of North Florida campus. You know, give season tickets away to uh, you know to students. Run a, a student ticket lottery like you do in college football. Get young fans automatically invested in your sport and in your franchises right out of the gate. You know, while also having facilities and everything covered on on the part of the schools who are just looking to get money any way that they can. So uh, I, I don't understand. It, it would be fun to sit down with somebody who's a, you know, a, a like a Darren Ravel used to be with ESPN. That's the money person behind all of this and, and have those conversations. But anyway, back back to the I, question. We have a go ahead. I, I was going to say I do have a thought on that. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, the Tampa Bay Bandits were one of the more successful USFL teams. They were. But that was what, 35 years ago, 40 years I, ago. I, I get that. But maybe that's got enough value that it, it matters, and maybe not. But I did notice that most of the USFL teams are uh, the same, you know, bringing back. Right. They're, they're heritage teams, and, yeah. Right. I, we'll see. I, I say they, by the time you get to the end of their season, they'll have 10,000, 15,000 fans in the stadium. It'll look like a Miami Hurricanes game. <laughs> Taking a shot at you, Hurricane fans, any chance I get. All right, wow. final, <laughs> final question comes to us from Ann. Uh, sadly, 2022 will mark the first year in quite some time that my friends and I have not made the trek down to Pensacola for Pensacon. Not to fear, though, we will be at Fantasy in Raleigh. That got me to thinking which of the conventions that you all do are among your favorites um hard to go wrong with liberty con man i mean that's uh that's like 
family get-together there. Everybody's there, from the CKP folks to the Bain folks uh, and everything in between. Uh, plus, Chattanooga is just a really freaking cool town. Um, so we we always enjoy Liberty Con. Fantasy and Raleigh is obviously a good one. This is my first year doing Pensacon, so I'll have to report back with you. But, I mean, everything I've heard from everybody say that it's a really well-run con, and they treat their their authors and their, their celebs really well, and it's just a fun weekend. So I'll get back to you on that. But um, but definitely Fantasy and, um, and Liberty Con are, are two of my favorites. Rob, how about you? Well, thank you for taking all of my um, options there. That's not true. There are other good cons out there, but, uh, you know, Fantasy has been built off of the traditions in many ways of Liberty Con and trying to create a family atmosphere. And Liberty Con, uh, what, what, uh, what they did there and still do, it's, it's really a, a fascinating place to go. Uh, there are, there's a reason that a few years ago they opened up tickets to sell. Now, they cap, at the time, they capped it at 750 tickets. There's a reason they opened it up to sell 750 tickets and had to close eight minutes later or 12 minutes yep. later, something like that, because they were sold out. Yep. That family atmosphere is huge. So, you know, I've had great times at other conventions. Um, I certainly suggest if you you're interested in conventions that you, you go try them out. Every convention sort of seems to have a different feel. And, and maybe what works for me at LibertyCon doesn't work for you, or what works for me at Fantasy doesn't work for you. But uh, those are the two I would start with. Cool deal. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of those. I will give an honorable mention to Atomicon over in Charleston. I have not had a chance to catch up with them uh, to, to actually go to their con, but I have met a number of their folks at other cons. They're super, super cool. Um, seem to be great folks to work with. And plus, it's frickin' Charleston, dude. I mean, who doesn't want to go hang out in Charleston, South Carolina? So there you go. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to bring us down to the hour, which means white flag, which is typically where we start to wind this puppy up. It's also the segment where we kind of look ahead to what's happening in the in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, for me, I'm actually really excited about, obviously, Pentacon, talking a lot about that, fantasize coming up next month. Uh, I'm really excited for the return of college baseball season. I, I love college baseball. Uh, growing up in a, in a, you know, in Tallahassee, obviously football is king. Football is king everywhere down south. But a close second for a number of years when I was growing up was going to Dick Hauser Stadium and watching the Noles play baseball. You know, we had some great players back then. J.D. Drew comes to mind. Um, and it's just college baseball is so much fun. It has all of the pageantry that is, the, you know, the, the majesty that is the game of baseball, the American pastime, blended with all of the pageantry that is college athletics, the colors and, and the legacies and the, you know, I went to this school and that's my home and that's my colors and that's my squad all wrapped up in the game of baseball. So, you know, it's it's a niche sport anymore but uh but anytime we we start to roll around toward february and we're gonna hear some some crack of some wooden bats or some uh some excuse me some dings of some aluminum bats uh it's just it's a fun time so return of college baseball season is really really what's high on my list rob how about you man what are you looking forward to honestly i I have to say kind of sad but i'm really looking forward to getting words on the page i've had a, a very sort of uh, busy, everything's kind of gone weird uh, first part of the year. Not necessarily weird in a bad way, it's just lots of things preventing me from getting words on the page for some time now. And I really want to get some stories out the door. I mean, I think I'm a writer. Well, if I'm going to be a writer, I better write. And so I'm really looking forward to, to doing that. 
Nice. All righty. Well, thanks so much again to Casey Azell for coming on to the program. It is always a treat to talk with her. Thanks to our sponsors. That would, of course, be Chris Kennedy Publishing, the International Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors. And thanks again to our brand new partners over at the Believe Podcast Network. Folks, these guys are awesome. They are the number one podcast ne- uh, network on the net for professionals. Doesn't matter what you're into. If it's sports podcast, mystery podcast, thriller podcast, conspiracy podcast, they have got it all over there. So go check them out at Believe.com. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V.com. If you're interested, if you love our podcast, speaking of podcasts, support us, man. That comes in the form of reviews, likes, subscribes, all of that good stuff. Doesn't matter where you listen to it, if it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if they'll let you leave the reviews, we greatly appreciate it when you do that because it helps to push us up in the rankings. It helps folks find us. Kevin Steverson, we missed you, boy. We'll give you a shot to talk about Matt Stafford on our next episode. And with that, we bid you guys a great night. We'll see you next time on the Dudes Not For Space podcast. See ya.